This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 670, a conversation with Brian Reber. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 670. It's our conversation with Brian Reber. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Thank you for downloading this episode. This episode, I got to t- sit down and talk with the colorist, Brian Reber, and talk about his entry into comics, his, uh, his history with the medium, uh, and also some of the different projects he's worked on over the years. Uh, it was a lot of fun to have this conversation. Uh, he's worked on some really amazing projects throughout the years, and so it's really cool to be able to kind of uh, peel the onion and kind of look at uh, his, his different history on how he pushed himself as a colorist, uh, the different projects he's worked on, and how it kind of impacted that journey. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to have this conversation, and uh, you can currently uh, check out his work on, uh, let's see, Doctor Sh- he's working on uh, Spider-Man Deadpool is kind of his main title right now, which is uh, going to be nearing its ending soon, so definitely uh, pick up uh, pick up a book that's colored by Brian Reber and you won't be uh, disappointed. It's He's uh, just got some amazing colors. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump right into the episode, but just one last thing before we do, you can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Our uh, next non-numbered episode, sorry, non odd numbered episode or even numbered episode will be 672 our uh, spotlight on avengers endgame which will be should be dropping on the 27th of april so uh without further ado though let's jump right into the conversation with brian reber brian welcome to the comic shenanigans podcast how are you today thank you uh doing pretty good that's good good well before before we get into your career in comics i'm always interested uh when did you first become a fan of the medium to begin with? Was it when you were a kid? Was it later on? Uh, what was your kind of your comic book origin story? Uh, um, I fell in love with it as a kid. Uh, I have an older brother who would bring home uh, beat up and torn up comics from his friend's house and just leave them around, and I would always flip through them. And uh, growing up, my dad was an artist, so uh, I was always into art. And uh, he was an oil painter, and he would do shows in, like, malls. Oh, wow. And uh, when he did mall shows, he would always bring me along as the little gopher. <laughs> I would uh, I would always go for coffee and drinks for him and his friends, and uh, they'd always let me keep the change, and then I would take that change and go to the bookstore, and I started buying comic books with it. Nice. So usually after a weekend, I would come home with, like, a stack of 20 or 30 comics, and uh, and I would just flip through them constantly. So that was really early. I always wanted to draw Batman. I always wanted to do cartoons or something. I was always drawing and doodling. So hmm. comics were like the thing. Once I once I discovered them, I couldn't get enough of them. Was there ever a point where you kind of faded away from from reading them as much? I mean, generally speaking, a lot of people seem to at some point, and then they come back to them. Or was it always kind of no? This is this is the thing. This is the thing I love. It was off and on. Um, after my initial uh, burst of buying a ton of them, that's all I had for like several years because, I mean, I was still a kid. I didn't have an allowance or anything like that, so I just had to make do with what I had. And then uh, once I got into uh, high school, I rediscovered them and uh, started collecting them heavily until uh, around college. And then around college, I kind of took a break from them. And then... Uh, Eventually, 
I uh, got back into them through uh, seeing the different, like when I started to get back into them, Joe Casada was doing um, Daredevil. Okay. Uh, with Richard Eisenhoff on colors and uh, coloring had changed during my break from comics. And uh, so I started getting uh, attached to the digital art form. And uh, so I started picking up comics again. And that's when I when I really got back into it, and then I've been back in comics ever since. Now, how do you how do you, I mean? So as a kid, you're you're you know you, you like art, you're into art. Your dad is obviously an artist. When do you kind of make the jump and say, I you know not only do I like comics, I like reading them. I actually want to be in this industry. How do you make that leap? Uh, well, I, I kind of never budged. Uh, <laughs> from an early age, I was always drawing superheroes. And uh, anytime I did uh, talent shows or, or like, you know, school art shows, I was always submitting uh, superheroes type stuff. In fact, I think that the artsiest I got is I did a uh, homage to a Frank Frazetta piece. <laughs> and that's about as, as far as away I strayed from superheroes as I just went to someone else that was drawing superhero type stuff. <laughs> um, like my dad, he, he painted, uh, he paints... Uh, shrimp boats, lighthouses, gas pumps, like uh, very traditional paints. He goes and gets the photo references. So I grew up watching him, you know, paint. But uh, And he always pushed for me to do, uh, like, wildlife. He wanted me to draw ducks and dogs. It's like, you draw a dog, you'll be employed for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, but I just, I never took to it. I just get one to draw Batman or X-Men or something like that. And then... Uh, like, I just never really strayed from it at all. And uh, I actually took a break from art, came back to art. I would always, I would always take breaks from art. and uh, But every time I came back to it, it'd be superhero stuff, comic book stuff. <laughs> so at what point, like, how do you enter the industry as a colorist as opposed to a traditional penciler or inker? So, um, well, like, in high school, I did everything. I, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to be... McFarlane or Jim Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to write, draw, uh, ink, color. I wanted to do it all. I just wanted to make my own book, just be me. So I actually, I, I used to draw a lot. Uh, I started dabbling with inks. And then uh, occasionally I would get markers, uh, not as fancy as the ones we use today or that are out today, but I'd get little brush tip markers and I would try to do emulate digital coloring with it and uh for a while i had a portfolio of just like uh, samples of like I'd, i would draw shadowhawk sequ- sequentials hmm. and uh occasionally i would do uh i'll try and do like knockoffs of like uh, i had a mcfarlane spawn pinup i did i penciled inked it and colored it just like the comic page as close as i could get it and uh, i would do things like that just to try and figure out the process of feathering and what they're doing and whatnot and uh, I took that around for portfolio reviews for a while, and I got some interest from some people. I was only like 18, 17. And uh, I sat down one day with Klaus Jansen, uh, oh, wow. who was doing the Spawn Batman signing tour. And he just happened to stop in my my shop, and they called me up, said, come up here and hang out with Klaus. And uh, I sat up there for like three hours, and he went over my portfolio. And uh, he gave me penciling tips, inking tips. And probably like the last 30 minutes, he flipped to the back of my portfolio and saw these 
pinups that I'd done full color on. And he's like, wow, if you could do this type of color work on computer, you could start working today. Oh, wow. And like I said, I was like 17 or 18. I was like, I don't want to be a colorist. <laughs> so I actually stopped doing everything. I was like, man, he looked at my portfolio, and the, the strongest thing he came in with came away with was me doing markers and I was like uh, maybe comics isn't for me so I just stopped cold turkey oh wow and uh, I didn't know computers that's the other thing I didn't know computers at the time uh, I was like uh, I, I guess I'm not it's not destined for me so when I took my time off I ended up you know going to college and uh, I ended up started a, uh, started working at uh, Babbage's which is what is GameStop now Mm. And uh, I came good friends with my manager up there, and he just showed me how to put together a computer. And then we started playing video games, and then uh, I started making, started to learn Photoshop a little bit, started making websites and uh, skins for Doom and Quake video games. <laughs> trying to mod them. And then uh, during this process, eventually I stumbled across a, uh, a digital forum called. Uh, I think it was called Sijin Art. It was this, Zob Sijin is his name. Hmm. And he was doing these digital paintings for uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly. Oh, yeah. He was doing these covers, and he was doing these elaborate, fully digital painted covers. And I was just mesmerized by it. But he had his own forum where he was, like, teaching people how to do digital painting and stuff like that. So I started dabbling in it, and then that's when I started, people were like, yeah, comic book coloring is all digital now. Uh, so I started looking at liquid and stuff like that and started dabbling in that and eventually I just took to doing digital coloring and uh, really enjoyed it I did it in, uh, I did it in my spare time and uh, eventually I started posting samples online uh, and I think probably from me learning to do digital comic coloring it probably took me like three months before I got an offer to do actual work so it was a matter of me getting over the fact that I didn't want to be a colorist to applying all of that to digital coloring once I learned how, like, this was like a six-year hiatus, by the way. Wow. So in that time, I learned computers, I learned Photoshop, I learned all this stuff, and then I was like, oh, maybe I should go back and just reapply this to what I was doing before. And then I just took to it, you know, super fast. What was it that really, I mean, because obviously like, you were good at it before you were doing the, the computer coloring. What was it that you really found so interesting or that you really took to? Like, I mean, it, it's a very specific skill, and the people who are good at it are great at it, and the people who are terrible are very bad. So, like, it's usually, there's not usually a lot of middle ground. It feels like you're really good or you're really bad. So what was it about about it that really interested you and really captivated you and, and can, continues to captivate you? Yeah, well... Um I always tell people like everyone everyone that knows me personally and my family uh, uh, our, our family motto is we want to be the best at what we start doing 15 minutes after we start doing it so, <laughs> and, and that's that was a lot of the frustration uh, growing up and and uh, and trying to do art I would get frustrated and that's why I take breaks uh, but with coloring with the digital coloring like once I figured out how to use the tools and apply it once you start coloring it's almost like instant gratification uh like i can make a character full color in just like 30 minutes and it's like it's just it's very satisfying when i first started and it just kind of got addicting uh so that's i would just dabble with it all the time after that so yeah it's just 
it's that instant satisfaction that uh, is what appealed to me. And plus, I didn't have to draw it. I was just take someone else's line art, <laughs> color over. <laughs> so like all the hard stuff was done. I was like, oh, I could just render it. That's awesome. What was, what was it like when you started actually, like you know, again working with other people's art and trying to figure out like how to how to kind of bring it to vivid life using colors? Like, is that um, I, I guess it's a, a form of problem solving, I guess, right? To kind of figure out how to light it, how to make it kind of look the best. Um, what was was there a learning curve when you actually start using other people's art and it wasn't just you know kind of your own stuff anymore but now you're actually working on other people's work yeah um because yeah because you basically kind of have to be somewhat of a mind reader I, I i had an advantage because i did draw i did try doing it so i did understand line weights um i did understand form so it's just a matter of uh determining where the where the artist was doing with their line art uh and it if it's if it's done well, it's almost it's almost all laid out for you. You know exactly where the light's coming from, uh, where everything should be laid out. So, but I uh, when I first started out, I would try coloring uh, Joe Mad, <laughs> <laughs> which he's an amazing artist. His light sources are all over the place. So, uh, <laughs> trying to make sense of what he was doing because I mean he drew for like liquid to color and liquid would just but what they call specular highlights, like the big bright white dots, like all over and it's shiny and it's great. But from my background, I grew up watching my dad paint realistically using rendering or uh, using photo reference and stuff like that. Trying to make sense of that. That was a struggle. And that was, uh, that was the hardest thing for me to get over when I first started is when you got an artist that the, the lighting isn't clear mm. trying to figure that stuff out. Um, but that, that's just like part of the puzzle. Like once you, once it clicks, you know, everything comes out just the way you want it. It's it's satisfying. So who who was your I guess who's the main contact or who's the main person that kind of calls you from Marvel and says you know what we want to want to get you to work on something for us? What what does that call sound like or how do they get in touch with you and what did it kind of go? How did it go? Um, my. The, when I first my, my first gig is that what you mean like when yeah. I first started working there uh, so I kind of got it in a roundabout way um, I was doing a series an image called Radix with uh, Ben and Ray Lai oh yeah uh, they're former cross-gen employees um, they actually got hired to do Thor for Marvel um, but I didn't they got hired I didn't uh, and, but their first gig before they did Thor was um, Ultimate X-Men or yeah Ultimate X-Men they did a, a fill-in issue and I think Dave Stewart colored it um, but they did a bunch of concept drawings and they uh, they sent them to me and I was like oh these are cool like I've always wanted to color X-Men so I just colored them just for the heck of it and I drew they, did, they gave me like a Colossus a Wolverine and an Iceman I think but like Colossus is my favorite uh, Marvel character, so I went to town on it. You know, I, I spent all day rendering out, doing all the metallics and everything. Well, they sent it in, and uh, Tom Brevert's office saw it, and they're like, "Oh, well, we should pair these guys back up together when they do Thor." Um, and at the same time, I happened to um, get an offer from Josh Middleton to help him out on colors for unlimited X-Men, but my name wasn't going to be on it. I was just helping him out because he needed to get the deadline done. 
and uh, he had solved some of my colors that were kind of close to what he was trying to do. So he's like, hey, come help me out. And we knew each other um, from the Lie Brothers and the CrossGen connection. And uh, so this was all going on at once. And uh, eventually I was actually in like a uh, an AOL call center facility training to be the guy to, to keep you from canceling your AOL connection. So that was that was going to be my job. I was actually in training. Oh, wow. And I got an email from Tom Brevert saying, hey, we would like you to come and color Thor. Like, while I was in my training class. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is awesome. And then probably 30 minutes later, I got an email from C.B. Sobolski. Hey, we got a new series called Runaways. We think you'd be a good fit for it. So, like, within an hour... Uh, I got two emails from two different Marvel editors asking me to come work, <laughs> give me a legit work. So uh, my lunch break rolled around, and I basically just left and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why would you, right? I mean, you just got right? the, you know, you got the, you got the call. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I got, I got two of them. Like <laughs> one of them was enough, but then I got like the bonus call. So I was like, there's no way I'm going back to doing help desk. <laughs> No, in that in that period, like I mean, you suddenly you're working on two different projects. So, what was it like to kind of go back and forth between them? Because you, I mean, I don't know if you could find two books with a more different visual aesthetic than those two. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was that was a learning curve because for starters, when uh, when I started doing that, uh, like the the Radix series took me forever. I was still doing like eight hour pages. Wow. <laughs> so. To get two books at once, I was like, uh, I guess I don't have to sleep. I could just, <laughs> just work on these two until, until I get used to it. So it was a matter of getting up to speed um, and then hoping that the deadlines didn't collide, which I was very fortunate uh, that first year my deadlines didn't really conflict with each other. So I, I had time to, to work on both and get my speed up. Um, but yeah, since then, it's funny to try to think about, yeah, I did two different styles, but I think since then, every book is a different approach, so it's just a matter of uh, getting past it. Once you start working, you got to start working, basically. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have time to sit there and think, well, do this, do this. Uh, I basically just had to get in the mindset whenever I worked on each one, that that's how this is going to look, this is how this is going to look. When you're working on Runaways, did you have any sense that this is this is going to be like a very memorable cult book, or was it just kind of this is this is a new book, part of Tsunami? Who knows if this is going to work? You know, when the CB brought me in because of because uh, of the work I'd done over Josh Middleton, he's like, "Man, this would be a cool style over Adrian." Um, so I'd already, you know, it wasn't my normal style, but I knew how to do it. So when we came in and we started doing the designs and everything, I was like, this is going to be a really different look because the other Tsunami stuff was like heavily rendered, mm. um, very Marvel Flash style. Um, so when I was working, I was like, well, you know, this is the direction we're going to go. I'm going to try and take it as far as I can to this direction to make sure that it stands out. So when, uh, when uh, was it Tsunami? When it, or was it tidal wave? I can't even remember now. I think it was tsunami. When, when, when it hit, um, it was like six books, and Runaways was the one that basically just stood out from all of them. At least I thought, because we 
had such a muted palette and everything. And everyone that picked it up at the time, they're like, yeah, the colors is what is the reason we picked it up. Colors is the reason we picked it up. Mm. So I knew right away, I was like, well, if it makes it past the cut, this is going to be a special book. That's awesome. And then working on Thor at the same time, I mean, obviously that was, you know, a long running character and a longer running title at that time. Um, was that, was that pretty cool to finally be able to touch like kind of a classic Marvel character? It was just weird. No, I was never a Thor fan growing up. So it was, it was weird because I was like, wow, I get this big Marvel book that I don't really know anything about. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, and, but at the time, I mean, starting out, I was like, just don't mess it up. That's what I always think. Just don't mess it up. These are characters that have been around forever. Uh, so with that book, I basically tried to color it as straightforward as I could. I didn't mm. want to try and get too artsy with it. I was like, Sif's going to look like Sif. Heimdall's going to look like Heimdall. Rainbow Bridge is going to be the Rainbow Bridge. I'm not going to do anything super artsy or anything. I just tried to color it as straightforward as I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's so much uh, legacy to that character. And just starting out, I was like, I don't want to be the comes in guy comes in. They're like, oh, this looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want that to be on my reputation, so I tried to do the best I could, and I ended up coloring like Tom Mandrake on there, Paco Medina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones, uh, but I colored like four or five different artists during that run, and I actually stayed on it a lot longer than I thought I was going to do because the Live Brothers actually on it for like maybe three issues. Yeah, it wasn't very long uh, yeah. b- before. It was like a there was a big scheduling snafu. Uh, and then they they just never came back. Hmm. So, but they kept me on because I was actually keeping the book on schedule. Speaking of scheduling, so I mean, you did the last two issues of uh, the somewhat maligned series Trouble. Um, I'm curious what kind of brought you onto the book because I think Hollingsworth was on there before you. Yeah, yeah, Matt was on it before me. Uh, well, I mean, I kind of had this reputation of I was able to come in and kind of emulate other artists, other colorists, and and still hit the deadline and get the books out the way they wanted. And I think Matt at the time, uh, he had a scheduling conflict. <laughs> so they brought me in, um, and they, and they wanted me to try to match his style as close as I could. In fact, I even talked to Matt and Matt sent me like his brushes, which is very rare that colorists do this, but he sent me his brushes that he was using on the series. So I was able to get a lot of the same texture work that he was doing. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was just like, that was a scheduling thing. And I just happened to be, available to do it but a lot at that time in uh, the early part of my stage a lot of the books that I would get or a lot of the projects I did I would come in and I would emulate another colorist hmm. so that which isn't up a- the greatest thing but for me it was always like I always looked at it as a way to learn that's I mean that's the way that's the way I learned is I look at other people's art so I was like well I'm going to color this issue in this guy's style uh, maybe I could pick up a thing or two to for see sure. what they're doing that's different than me because a lot of a lot of like palette choices and everything it, it's it's people will make different decisions and tackle problems a lot differently so it's neat to see what they do and try to try to emulate it for sure so i mean, I mean this might be hard to say because obviously you're going back you know almost 20 years but what uh what would you say is one of the first projects where you remember kind of feeling it feeling more like you like less of you trying to emulate or kind of capture someone else's style or coming on a book kind of midstream but actually kind of being more like this is my style this is how this i would is color a book. yeah um i would have to say the first book where i turned in the first few pages of like that uh, this is me i just gave you i gave you all i got um was Madrox, the, mm. the multi, and uh, 
and even the the editor at the time, Andy Schmidt's like, yeah, he's like, you know, it was around here when I realized that you're an artist and not just a production guy. So that that book meant a lot to me because I was doing a, a I really love noir type stuff. So to be able to get my hands on a book of that style and with Pablo Ramondi's art, I was like, oh, this is I'm just going to go all out on this thing, and that's that's the first book where. Uh, a lot of my current style I developed working on that one. Interesting. I'm curious also, I mean, obviously you've worked with so many different kind of pencilers and inkers who you come over and you color over. What what has been the, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, but which which kind of collaboration was the most collaborative, which is a weird way of saying it, but like obviously which one did you have the most kind of connection with the pencil or the anchor and kind of discussing things or has that ever really occurred where you've been actually able to discuss it with them and then kind of go in color or did you always kind of take it and just figure out your own perception of what they were giving you? Um, that's an interesting question. So usually the best collaborations I have is when the artist just lets me do whatever. <laughs> Okay. Because <laughs> I mean, where they're like, all right, here's the art, do your thing. Uh, and then we talk, discuss it afterwards. And if, I, if they don't like something, I'll try and work it in or I'll, I'll try and change things or I'll tweak it and stuff like that. Um, like me and Louis LaRosa, we had a great connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was one of those, you do your thing. He's like, he doesn't think of color. So he's like, he left it up to me. And mm-hmm. I would do the color. We come back, we're like, do you like this? Yes, no, we can change it from there, and that those are those are usually the best ones for me. Um, there's uh, there's been a couple times where I don't even talk to the artist; it's all through the editor. Uh, I'm trying to think of like some of some of my Marvel guys. Hmm. Hey, me and Patrick Zerker, we go back and forth on stuff, but he'll give me uh, ample amount of notes before I actually color anything. Uh, so it's just a matter of me trying to, to hit what he envisions because he's a color uh, he can color himself uh, and those are actually the, the artists that can color themselves those usually end up being the more difficult uh, collaborations because they already have a vision when yeah. they drew it so you're trying to trying to reach whatever they imagine uh, so those can prove to be more difficult because it's like if it comes back and it's not anywhere close it's like well I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to do that. And a lot of times, those guys they wait to get it before they tell you what to fix. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, for the most part, no one's. Uh, I don't want to throw anybody under the bridge. <laughs> there has been somewhere I've gotten paint overs from spouses, and I'm like, what is what is going on here? <laughs> what, what what does that even mean? <laughs> So like like I would send in a uh, I would send in the proofs and then like oh my my wife's a painter so she did this paint over of what I would what I would like you to do <laughs> and it's like um, yeah the the that was a rough collaboration but I won't I won't say who it is okay <laughs> I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit in time I'm curious um, when working on Drax the Destroyer. How much, I mean, obviously that's a character where color obviously matters quite a lot. Um, and it was kind of a re-envisioning of the Drax character, which thinking back now, it's hard to believe that that character hasn't been around like in that format for so long. Um, I'm just curious, like with the tattoos and that kind of thing, how did you approach that from a coloring perspective? And was that all in the pencils or how much of it did you add through colors? So a lot of that was Mitch. 
Mitch, uh, he had a clear design of what he wanted Drax to look like. He even did uh, a color breakdown himself. Oh, really? Um, originally, I think his was a little darker, like a, a really dark, rich green. Uh, I tried to I tried to find a happy medium between that and the uh, the day glow green that Drax was previously. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted it. A lot of that series was just a matter of me trying to ground uh, all the far-fetched sci-fi stuff. Mm. Because uh, I, one thing we didn't want to do, we didn't want it to be bright and super colorful like, uh, you know, like the old Starlin stuff and, you know, like the old Galactus stuff. Because that stuff wasn't, wasn't really working for Marvel at the time. So when uh, our approach on that whole book was to try and ground it, and I was a big god of war fan so i took a lot of influence from uh, the way kratos was and with his his markings and stuff uh but yeah a lot of that mitch already envisioned it we got the we got the chance to knock out some covers before we actually started working on the interiors but yeah my main thing was just to make it look as real as you could mm-hmm. with the comic book so speaking of like, so you're working on Drax, and again, it's a kind of otherworldly character, but he's in kind of a more you know down to earth setting, very much so. And you're playing with the colors there, and at the same time, you're working on a book which I feel like really went under the radar, and most people don't remember it at all. But Jack Cross, uh, kind of the oh, the, the forgotten Warren Ellis project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, we had so much hopes for that thing. Um, I really liked it. I can say that. Like, I remember, I, I loved it at the time. I a few years ago, I was reaching out to Warren. And I'm like, and he's like, "Well, what would you want to talk about?" And I'm like, and I was like, "Well, I'll pick something you know deep in the catalog, right?" So I'm like, Jack Cross. He's like, oh, "I don't want to talk about that." I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird project because uh, that's actually like my first foray into DC. Um, before that, I hadn't really done anything for them, and I ended up on that project because Gary Erskine. Or Erskine, I'm not really sure how to pronounce his name. He came in and did some work on Thunderbolts. Okay. Uh, Avengers versus Thunderbolts, um, which I think he had inked some of uh, Barry Kitson's stuff, and I think he actually worked on Tom Cromit's stuff on that too. Uh, and he did finishes on, on one of the issues, I believe. But he liked my work, so he pushed for me to come over and do that at, at DC. And, uh, that's another one where uh, it's like it, I think that's my first like really non-superhero type book that I was working on mm-hmm. so again I was trying to go for realism I was I was pulling references for almost every panel to try and get it as realistic as I could uh, and that one I, I put a ton of work into it and it was the funny thing is I mean since it's my first uh, attempt at DC it was all a different format for me so it's uh I was coloring at 600 DPI for the first time, which is uh, which is a much larger image. Um, I remember my computer just struggling to, <laughs> to work on it at the time, and uh, it was going to newsprint, which I haven't had anything go to newsprint. So I was like, uh, "Is this going to, you know, print horrible, or how is this going to just be mud when it comes out?" <laughs> and then like all the color settings were different than I was usually working with. So it, that that whole project was a learning experience. Hmm. Generally, were you happy with how it ended up turning out, uh, even though it was a lot yeah, of challenges going we actually, in? Yeah, uh, we actually done a cover for a fifth issue, and it, it never came out. Uh, I thought for sure it was going to keep going and going. Um, but yeah, after that fourth one was done, uh, I was just sitting around waiting for pages, and, I, and then eventually Gary's like, yeah, this book's done. <laughs> Aww. 
That's too bad. I, I liked it. I mean, uh, again, I read it when it was first coming out, and I remember buying all those singles and, and really digging it. It's a shame it didn't continue, but, uh, you know, not everything works, not everything hits, and yeah. just the way it is, right? I had hopes that, like, eventually it ended up as, like, a, a show or something, because I felt like everything was there. For sure. Now, I think around the same time, I guess you I guess you helped out uh, Josh on Superman Shazam First Thunder for just an issue. What was it like kind of yeah. stepping in and giving him a hand on that? Because that's a, a very color-intensive book. Yeah, that's another one where Josh, uh, he was he was doing so much on that project. He's like, uh, if you could come in and just help me color some of this, it would, it would free me up to do this other stuff. So... I was like, sure. I'd worked with him before, and I mean, I pretty much owe him me getting the gig on Runaways. So I came in and I, I basically worked the pages up uh, as far as I could, uh, tried to match what he was doing, and then he would take it from there and just put on his little touches and his tweaks, and that's what eventually got sent off. Yeah, in the, in the book, I ended up just getting a thanks. I didn't actually get a credit. I got a special thanks. Um <laughs> And I think the issue I helped out on, someone else actually had colored other pages in that. Um, but And I think that was the thing is Josh, they had to give away some colors, and Josh wanted to try and control it as much as he could, and that's why he brought me in. Okay. Well, it makes sense. I mean, obviously, you were someone who kind of made his bones at the beginning helping to emulate his style, right? So who, yeah, be- who yeah. better to give him a hand, right? Yeah. Now I'm curious. Course, um, I can never do that now with the art that he's doing. I was like, yeah, you've <laughs> gone and surpassed me. There's, there's no me ghosting Josh anymore. <laughs> now, after working on uh, with with Pablo on uh, Majorox, is that kind of how you ended up on Books of Doom? Yeah, yeah. Uh, me and me and Pablo hit it off. Um, I loved his art. He loved my colors. Um, so it, he, we tried to go every. We also did a X Factor together too. Eventually. That's right. Yeah. And now we're doing uh, Sacred Creatures, his image title. So, uh, yeah, me and Pablo, we've we've had a good collaboration. We did butt heads here and there, and we had to take a break for uh, a few issues before uh, we came back. But uh, we've, uh, I think, our work looks really good together. Why do you so, think it works so well together? Like, what do you think? That, what about your work kind of complements his so well? So he, he draws very realistically, and I think that's just kind of in my wheelhouse. Whenever I can see something that I think I could reference, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to be an artist that you Sorry about that ringing in the background. Just ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, his, his, uh, his eye for realism just kind of matches mine. So we can both kind of visualize what the scene's going to look like as soon as... You know, we can read the script, and I can kind of tell how Pablo's going to draw it immediately, and he probably knows how I'm going to Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm, I'm curious. Now this is a, a book I really enjoyed, but you worked on Annihilation Nova, which really kind of was a, a big kickstart for the Nova character. Really yeah. kind of brought him back to, to prominence. What was it like working on that book? And because it has such a very definitive visual style, and you bring so much to it in terms of the colors and really making it pop and making it work. So how did you kind of approach such a cosmic book? So yeah, that one was uh, that one's interesting because actually I never I never talked to Kev. Kev Walker's the one that illustrated that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I loved his work. As, uh, I was a fan of his from I think he did Eternals or something like that for um, right so. before that. And uh, I just thought the style was kind of it's kind of crazy. It's just it is real loose, real energetic. So when I started to work on it, I was like, I'm going to try and match that looseness and 
see if I can't keep keep it from losing the energy that he's putting on the pages. <laughs> so I, I tried to do real real loose with my rendering. I didn't try to go as tight as I normally did. Um, but that was like that book was a blast, especially since we get to bring tracks into that also. But uh, yeah, I, I I love that book, and uh, not enough people talk about it. <laughs> No, I it, it, well again for me it was the book that brought Richard Ryder back from from wherever he was like you know what I mean like for yeah. me like I that whole cosmic period which really launched with Annihilation was just such an amazing burst of energy and and light that kind of they I mean it's I guess now called kind of the DNA era uh, even though they didn't technically write the original Annihilation yeah. but yeah no it's and that book was a big part of that because it again made me care about Richard Ryder I remember my brother-in-law when I first met him and I was like oh you got to read you got to read Nova and you got to start with Annihilation Nova and he's like I don't know I don't care about this character and then a few days later he's like blue blazes this is amazing (laughs) he just loved (laughs) it yeah i I didn't really know much about the character um uh but yeah having it and i mean the the whole dna line as they were awesome um and it was fun to do that because it did feel like it was kind of launching annihilation right after drax kind of you know shook up the marvel Mm-hmm. universe was saying hey these uh galactic characters can sell like we could do this now so they have such a huge event follow-up right after drag so it was really fun now you mentioned and, the f- i mean that's a lot a lot of credit to to andy schmidt because he was the one that spearheaded the whole thing oh for sure uh now you mentioned working on on kev and how his his energy was kind of he had so much energy in his pencils and that you kind of vibed off that i'm curious if you had a, a similar kind of feeling when you uh were coloring over scott collins on omega flight because that again uh, collins is a very kinetic artist yes he is and that book was <laughs> man you're hitting all the old ones uh that was that was intimidating because before then uh i forgot what scott was drawing but he's so detailed i mean it's very uh uh, super detail oriented on everything and he's straight from pencils too so it, he wasn't like inking or anything like that and I remember Chris Sotomayor was posting pages that he colored over Scott and I was like oh geez I would I would never want to do this to myself there's so much detail <laughs> like, I, I, would, I would take me forever to get those pages so when they asked me to do uh, a mega flight I was like uh, maybe and they're like well Scott's doing gray tones and I was like oh well if he's doing a lot of the rendering, I could probably cheat and get get away with a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. So I think that was I think that might have been the first time Scott had done gray tones on a book on interiors. Uh, and I hate to say it, but when I started coloring that, I didn't know how to color gray tones. And even when I finished that series, I still didn't know how to color gray tones. I just did the best I could. <laughs> um, if I got that book now, it looked probably completely different because I've learned how to color gray tones since. But back then, I was like. Uh, Doing the best I can, but that was that was also a really fun book, and it was just a, such a weird cast of characters. Oh, super weird! Kind of made it work. Like I, I, yeah, I remember I, looking at it now. I'm like, what a weird decision to put all those characters together in Canada. <laughs> well, I was just thinking the other day. I was like, I'm probably one of the few colors that's colored Beta Ray Bill in multiple series. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has your approach to Beta Beta Ray Bill's colors changed? Well, that one, he had like a completely new outfit. Yeah, it was kind um, of the gold, I think. Yeah, it was like gold and red, and I think I came up with it. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> it's been so different. Uh, but yeah, I remember again that first 
last page of uh, a Beta Ray Bill, and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, and then you had the Wrecking Crew and all that in there, too. That book was just nuts. It was pretty and, crazy. Uh, there was a lot of like he Scott would throw me like these pinups each issue like these splash pages that I would try to go all out in color because there's a few in there that I like from um, like Spider Woman. There's a, a pinup where she's on a taxi cab that, that's like one of my favorite images, and then <laughs> a third cover for that book uh, is one of my favorite covers I've ever done. It's just um, what's his name? Uh, they called him Omega something. It's Guardian. Oh, yeah. I think it was like Weapon Omega or something. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, Weapon Omega. And he was just sitting there with like a single tear in his eye. It's very somber. Mm. Headshot. But that's like one of my favorite covers. Very cool. Now, in and around this time, so I mean, you're pretty entrenched at Marvel. You've done the occasional DC project. How did Gotham Underground come around? Because that was a book I loved. And I mean, you worked on all nine issues of that. Yeah. Um, how did that come around? <laughs> <laughs> It's usually, uh, it is twelve years ago, so I mean, uh, you know, it, was, it was Mike Martz. Ah, uh, yeah, because I'd worked with Mike over at uh, at at Marvel, so I started doing some. When Mike went over and started doing the Batman line, that's when I started to get more DC work. Because um, uh, Mike's one of those editors who's like super loyal to his guys, uh, especially if you can hit a deadline. <laughs> so, uh, so he brought me over there to work on, on Gotham Underground, and yeah, that. That was a really fun series because I got the. I'm a huge Batman fan, so that was awesome because I got to play with basically every Gotham character there was throughout that run. Yeah, it was like a who's who. Yeah. Oh, and the first thing I first thing we did was the uh, the covers, which was nine covers that combined to be one giant poster, and. Uh, they had sent it to me, and they're like, "Yeah, all and they're all like full size covers, but you connect them up." And I had to go out, and that's another time where I went out and bought a new PC <laughs> just so I could open those covers because I couldn't open more than one or two of them at a time. I had to sit there and crop it out and try and piece it together like a puzzle later on. Oh, wow, I mean, like that sounds pretty challenging to be able to. I guess to, I never really thought about that, but I guess if you're trying to like match it all up and make it all kind of work coherently. From a coloring perspective, that actually, in some ways, is almost more challenging than making the pencils line up. Yeah, yeah, because especially if you're if your system's struggling. Well, yeah, especially. I remember it take me like five or ten minutes to save a page. I was like, no, this isn't working. I gotta get a, I gotta get an upgrade. How many times have you had to buy a new computer because the work got slow? Um, just two or three, actually. I've, the system I've had now, I've, I've had this uh, probably like six or seven years, and it's a laptop. So it's getting to the point now that where uh, the technology is, the, the hardware and software are fast enough to run those large files without it. I mean, I can color pages on my iPad now. So, <laughs> but back then, we're like we were on the borderline of all that stuff. So whenever you got a large file, it would just like cripple your system. <laughs> Um, I'm just curious. I, I, you've worked on a lot of, again, books that I seem to have loved, so that's very convenient for me. Um, what was it like working on Captain Britain and MI-13? That was definitely a, a fan favorite book, although I guess it didn't sell well yeah. enough to stay, unfortunately. That's a, that's another one of those books with like a crazy cast, um, and it worked so well. Uh, Paul Cornell coming from Doctor Who and all that, like you could see all of that influence throughout that series. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the first couple pages they sent to me was uh, John Lennon turning into a squirrel. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. 
and uh, and Leonard Kirk, he was he was a blast to work with. He is very easy to go uh, to get along with, and he's one of those that would just he's like, you do your thing, and then uh, we'll take it from there. And that the uh, that that series was just a blast to work on and be able to introduce like different versions of the characters and new characters. And uh, I loved Black Knight. That was my my mm. dude on that on that series. So anytime he showed up, I tried to go all out on him. <laughs> Now, this, is a, this is a bit more of a, an eccentric question, but do you find, I mean, do you enjoy more working on a kind of an ongoing where you might have artists cycling in and out and you're kind of the connective tissue that kind of makes the uh, the tone kind of work ongoing? Or do you kind of prefer doing smaller projects or, or limited series where you're just kind of doing a quick burst and then you're moving on to a different project? Uh, I prefer the longer runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, uh, it, it's hard to say... I, you can find joy in both of them. Um, I, I like it when I'm sort of the connecting tissue over the whole arc, stuff like that. It's like uh, like my run on X-Men Legacy. Uh, I was never supposed to be the regular artist on, or the regular colorist on that book, but then I colored it for like three or four years. I was going to say, you are on it for a while. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I joked that uh, I like... Uh, I think in the first year I colored like 12 different artists on that book. <laughs> so it's like almost every other issue is a different thing. So I was like, I'm the one that makes rogue look the same throughout this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious. So you, I'm obviously you did a lot of Marvel work for a while there. And then in 2011, you go over and you're working on, uh, on Batwing for DC. What was it like? Kind of, again, it's different, different style. It's a different, different period, right? Because you now have these fifty-two different books. How did you end up on, on Batwing in particular, and what was it like working over Ben Oliver? Um, Ben's awesome. Uh, I think I ended up on that because I've been coloring uh, some Doug Prathwaite, uh outsider covers for DC, mm. and again, this was Mike Martz, and uh, he had saw that I was I was basically coloring gray tones then, uh, still not doing it right, but I was coloring it. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, he's like, Hey, well, we're going to launch this new series. We'd, we'd like, we think he'd be a good match for it. And that's one of the few times where Ben's like, yeah, I want it to be kind of like an 80 grand off style. And I was like, 80 grand off. I was like, that's asking a lot, but maybe I can figure it out. And at the time, um, 80 grand off had done an interview in, uh, Imagine Effects magazine. Okay, and he actually they would have disc of like artist files, and they had uh, one of his pinups, uh, the full PSD working file on the disc, and I was like, I just happen to have this, so I pulled it up and I, I figured out uh, a lot of his technique from his interview and from reading that disc. I was like, all right, well now I can try and see if I can apply this to Ben stuff, and uh, Ben loved it. It's like, oh, this this is exactly what I wanted, and that's and that's when I learned how to color gray tones. Was been suggesting uh, Granov and me going out and trying to figure out how Granov was doing it. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So and so since then, uh, I've used pretty much the same techniques anytime I color gray tones, and um, so that's that. It was Ben that kind of spirit got me uh, to figure it out. Wow. Now, when um, I'm, I'm guessing, like, when, how did how did you get involved with Shadow Man? Did, did Patrick call you? Like, what was the what was the kind of conversation to kind of work on a Valiant book? So that was actually uh, Warren Simonson that did all that. 
um, I was sitting at Charlotte Heroes Con with I was tabling there, and uh, Warren was, you know, just starting Valiant up again, and he walked up to me and he, he held out his card and he's like, "You remember me?" And I'd I'd worked with Warren on uh, Marvel Four, the uh, oh, yeah. Fantastic Four series, and uh, actually I. I I had quit that book. <laughs> it's one of the few books that I quit because, like, uh, I always joked that my deadline was in the title. I had four days to color each issue, so I, I just couldn't take it anymore. Mm. But Warren came up and he's like, "Are, are you looking for? Uh, are you looking for work? We'd love to work with you." So I was like, "Yeah." And in fact, I told him I was like, "Yeah, I emailed you guys like three months ago and I never got a response." <laughs> so he's like, "What?" He's like, "Who did you email?" Blah blah blah. Uh, so like the following Monday. He sends me a work for hire contract, and then Tuesday he's like, "Here's the test page for uh, Shadow Man," and he's like, "Can you take criticism? How open are you for notes and corrections?" And I was like, "Well, Warren, you know me. I've worked with you." Uh, he's like, "All right," because he's like, "Patrick can uh, Patrick can give you a lot of notes." I was like, "Well, send them to me." I was like, "I'd rather have notes than than tr- than try to read someone's mind." So sure enough, there's like a whole paragraph because. Patrick can really get into it. It's just the way he works. Uh, and then I did the test page, and Patrick liked it. Warren liked it, and then that's they're like, "Hey, we want you to we want you to color the series." And how and did that's you basically it, that led into all the other Valiant stuff? I was going to say, yeah, because you worked on a lot of Valiant books. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I made the mistake. I told him, "Hey, I want to be uh, your Dave Stewart to Dark Horse." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just throw me all your books. And uh, they're like, they called me. <laughs> they called my bluff. And they're like, okay, here's all the books. Start coloring. So I was, at, uh, I was coloring like half the line. And then they made me exclusive. So uh, that's like everything I was working on. I was basically coloring half the books that were coming out every month. What was and, it? Uh, what? I was doing most of the, the coloring designs for all the characters. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a lot of work. How did it feel to be an exclusive? Because obviously that's very different from where you had been for years. Yeah, it was exciting because uh, this. I actually, I've always wanted. Uh, I asked Marvel if they would give me one way back in the day, and there was uh, there's nothing ever came of it. And I asked DC at one point, and DC's like, "Well, we don't do exclusives." So I was like, "All right." And uh, I don't know why I was seeking it. I think it was just the, the seeing people getting it. And I was like, "Oh, I want to. I want to be good enough to be an exclusive artist." So, when it came around from Valiant, they're like, hey, do you want to be exclusive? I was like, yes, sign me up. <laughs> and uh, and then they worked me to the bone <laughs> for that entire contract. I was like, oh, this, this may have been a mistake. I don't know. Uh, but it was, uh, it was interesting because I was basically, I think I was the first exclusive colorist there. And I was basically getting everything. Anytime they came up with a character design or a comic book idea, they're like, send the concepts over to Brian, have him color them. So like Quantum Woody would come in, and I would have 20 different versions of Quantum, 20 different versions of Woody. And I'd send them in. But yeah, it was was fun, but it was a lot of work. And when the contract ends, what's it like to like? Is it basically you're hanging a shingle outside your your door that says I'm I'm open for business again? Like let's let's go back on the freelance train. Uh, it, it, well, it's kind of weird. Um, I'd done so much at Viant, but it's such a Viant has such a small market. 
they almost felt like it kind of disappeared for a few years. Mm. Like other than the people that I, I would regularly talk to, not a lot of people really knew what I was working on or what I was doing. Uh, uh, just because the volume of the titles that were being sold through wasn't like, you know, X-Men Legacy. One issue of X-Men Legacy was outselling their entire line. Mm. So uh, it's basically I, I like disappeared for a few years and I came back. Editors still knew how it was, but at now like uh, the entire editorial at Marvel has pretty much completely changed from before I started being exclusive. So coming out of it is like I got to prove myself all over again. Like uh, it's this is me basically uh, rebooting, restarting. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that first year off the contracts was a little little rough. And now, I mean, obviously you're you're working more regularly now, thankfully. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious how Spider-Man Deadpool kind of came about because that's kind of one of the main ongoings you've been working on. I mean, obviously you've worked on other projects. You were working on, I guess, the uh, the Spider-Man Venom crossover last year, Venom Inc. But how did um, how did you take being on Spider-Man Deadpool? And what what is that process? Because it's such a weird, zany, crazy book. Yeah, 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 it is a crazy book. Well, the the circumstances were a little unfortunate because uh, Chris, uh, I can never get his name right, Bacala, mm-hmm. um, he his wife was going through some serious uh, health issues, oh. so the book was going through some major delays, and they had to bring in uh, different artists to try to get it back on schedule. Um, and Nick Lowe, he's the, the editor on there, and he was my editor on X-Men, uh, all the X titles for, you know, seven or eight years before I went to Valiant. <clears throat> so me and Nick have worked together a lot, and he knew what I could do, what I can't do. Um, and he basically was like, hey, he's like, this book, it's a mess right now. Um, he's like, I need you to come in and get us back on track. So uh, I was like, Sure. If you think I can do it, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So the first issue, I colored four or five different artists. <laughs> wow. In, in the first issue. Uh, and then I think there's three or four in, in my next issue. And I was like, does this deadline, uh, is this going to get any easier? He's like, not for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so that the first uh, seven issues, it was it was a grind because I was basically working like, I turned it in and then three days would go by. They're like, hey, next issue is coming in. <laughs> wow! I was like, oh, so no breaks. No, and, uh, I think around Christmas I finally got it on schedule, and then we got an editorial shift. So then everything I'd done just like throwing out the window, restart, crazy oh. schedule again. Oh no! <laughs> but uh, the the good thing about the book is it's a blast to work on because it's just such crazy stuff, and it's one of the few books that like uh, I have a, a nine year old and a four year old. They would come in and they would watch me color it. My mm. four year old would climb up in my lap and he's like who's this what's this guy doing who's this who's that so that's and it's like the first book they've just shown any interest in whatsoever so that that was a good feeling uh, when you're on a tight deadline yeah <laughs> knowing that hey my kids love it I'll, I'll keep doing it now uh, another book I'm curious about is uh, last so last year you worked on the uh, Edge of Spider Garden issue that had uh, Spider Punk I'm just interested yeah. what what visually that was like to kind of push yourself because it's obviously a very different type of tone and style. So what kind of how did you kind of approach that that challenge? Yeah, that was a weird one because uh, like when they when they mentioned it to me, they didn't actually show me any of the art right away. Um, 
but I was like, yeah, Spider-Punk, yeah, I'll do a Spider-Man, Spider-Gannon thing, that sounds cool, and I was looking forward to the video game that was coming out anyway. Um, I'd color, uh, I'd colored the guy on the Venom Inc. crossover, like, in the last issue, and I wasn't sure our styles would match, um, but when I got the first couple pages, I was like, yeah, I, I can make this work. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I did a lot of rendering, uh, went all out on the backgrounds, and uh, that was just a fun series, a fun book to work on. I was hoping we'd end up with a series from it. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that they haven't, because it seemed like a character, at least, you know, the, the visuals kind of come first, and the visuals are very so strong with a character like that. I'm surprised they didn't spin it out yet. Yeah, they had sent me, um, like, a, a short story with Spider-Punk before, and it was very punk the art style was very punk it was like bright yellows and purples and monochromatic and very artsy uh and when they sent me but they're like they're like don't do this try and do do your thing so i tried to throw some nods to punk stuff like the uh, posters and whatnot um but then I, i always tend to try and ground things too so that's that's just where i end up gravitating towards whenever I color anything mm-hmm. um, but yeah fun book I actually have a random question that just kind of popped into my mind but the idea of um, the realism of the art and obviously that's an influence from your father how, like how much of your art does uh, does your dad end up seeing at all or does he have an interest in kind of seeing what, what you're putting together or um, I mean like occasionally <laughs> he'll he'll uh, he'll see something I post online uh, my dad's not going out and buying books. <laughs> well, no, I, I assume not. But I'm just curious, you know, like what his take on it is. Because I mean, you're both artists, and I'm just curious. Because obviously, I, he, uh, as you said, you, you do like he uh, he knows. Like when I post stuff, he'll he'll remember artists that he likes. So like, uh, for the longest time, he wanted to meet Louis Louis Larosa. He's mm. like, man, I got to meet this guy because <laughs> he really likes Louis's art. <laughs> but uh, it was almost to a point to where it's like. I get it, Dad. You like Lewis. <laughs> like, like, I'll try and introduce you. <laughs> you know, a little bit of jealousy. I was like, I'm the one that's doing all the color work, Dad. I'm your son. <laughs> but yeah, he'll like he'll uh, he gravitates towards the art that's hyper realistic, like Doug Brathwaite and and Lewis and stuff like that. And you know, being a painter himself, he's like, yeah, that guy's this guy's really good. And then some of me's like, eh, it looks kind of cartoony. <laughs> he doesn't like the real cartoony stuff, so he picks favorites. So up to the, up to current, so you're still working on Spider-Man Deadpool. Um, now, you also, I guess, did an issue of Doctor Strange. Is it just the one issue, or is it going to be more? So I did two at the very beginning there, and that was another oh. case of where they needed someone to come in and help out. Oh. And then, uh, But I'm back on it now. Um, I'm coloring Barry Kitson for six issues. Wow. So from uh, 12 to, I guess, 18, maybe. And what's it like working I'm over at, Bar- Barry? I'm at math is weird. So this is my first time working with Barry since uh, Avengers Thunderbolts. Like way, oh, way yeah. Ago. That was a long time ago. That was 15 years ago. Yeah, and we only got to do one issue. <laughs> <laughs> and then Barry left and signed an exclusive contract with DC, <laughs> and uh, and that was it with me and Barry. <laughs> we uh, we did the covers. He did he did one issue, and then uh, DC threw some money at him, I guess, 
And uh, so he signed over there, and then Tom Grummet and G- Gary Erskine did a few issues, and then Tom Grummet came mm-hmm. in and did some issues. That's right. And uh, or actually, this is not my first time. I actually colored Barry at Valiant, too. I forgot about that. He, we, oh, uh, yeah. He did Bloodshot, but he wasn't doing finishes. He was doing, like, the breakdowns and um, uh, the inker Sergio. Oh, man. It's going to kill me. This is a problem of working with too many people. <laughs> well, especially, especially where sometimes you have four on one book, let alone. Yeah. Uh, I think his name's Guadiana is the last name. He he did the finishes on the book. Okay. So, but, uh, no, it's nice because Barry's doing, they're doing this really old school Marvel style. Um, Mark's just giving them a, a plot and then Barry's doing the rest. Oh, really? I didn't realize they were going that way. And, 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 yeah, and Barry's actually doing, he's co-writing it, basically. Hmm. So, like, yeah, because I keep asking for a script, and they send me, like, this little page, and it's like, all right, this is what's going to happen in this book. And I was like, this does nothing for me, <laughs> because Barry's just drawing pages. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know who this character is. And, and Barry apparently is an old-school Doctor Strange fan. So he knows all the characters, all the obscure ruins, and I. This is another series where I don't know anything about the character. <laughs> I did not grow up reading Doctor Strange, so I'm finding out everything as I go. I was like, "Wow, he's been with a lot of women." Because <laughs> I'm like having, I'm having a Google uh, Doctor Strange girlfriends to find reference for like this one page. There's like eight of them. I'm like, uh, "Who are all these women? He's worse than Daredevil." <laughs> but, uh, He's pull, he pulls out these obscure characters, but it doesn't say, mention it in the script. <laughs> There's no notes on the page. It's just like, who is this guy? And now I have to do Google reference. I have to email the editors. Like, anyone know who this guy with the horns is? And <laughs> it's it's interesting. Now, w- creating or like adapting the color palette for something like that, and again, not having maybe the, as much of a, a shorthand with that world and that character, how much extra preparation and kind of research do you have to do, or even just looking over the you know the most recent volume to kind of have a sense of you know the visual tone that's already been established and how to make sure it's still consistent with that while also pushing it further and also you know having your own style in there as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, so when I when I did my first couple issues I was filling in um Jesus says was taking a break and one of the studio mates was drawing it in a very similar style and they wanted me to color it the same as Jesus and uh I got it close I think <laughs> but it, it's different from mine uh so I know I can't do I, I can't do his style uh not as good as him uh, and then now bringing in Barry Barry is actually kind of drawing it in a very uh it almost looks like Manola's uh, Doctor Strange stuff mm. uh, from Torment and Triumph, that kind of thing. Uh, and in fact, I think um, Barry's not doing the finishes on this book either. He's doing the breakdowns. And um, Nick Roche, I think, is I, I could be wrong, is is doing the finishes on it. So it's got a completely different look, and it's very it's very classic looking. So. I'm just trying to bridge the gap between the old uh, crazy limited uh, printer colors <laughs> from back in the day to, to what we're doing now and still try and keep it looking like me. So, but a lot of stuff, I mean, I'm not, magic is not my thing. 
that's a that's a Matt Wilson thing. <laughs> that's a specialty for Matt Wilson. Not my specialty. Like it's, everything is grounded. So when it comes to the magic stuff and the interdimensional, it's kind of the best thing to do is just kind of fly at the seat of your pants and just <laughs> throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Like, hey, pastels works. <laughs> <laughs> Now, moving, uh, so we're, we're pretty much current now. So coming up, I, now forgive me, is Spider-Man Deadpool ending? So I am working on the last issue right now. Okay. Uh, issue 50. And it's a extra big size, it's like 30 page. But oh. yeah, that's going to be the end of it, which is a little sad. I was going to say, is it kind of bittersweet because you've been on it for a while now? It is. I wanted it to keep going. Um, I know Robbie needed a break from it. So he's moving on to, to other titles, uh, and I think that's why they decided, well, we're just going to bring it to a close. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a fun book. It's probably the, the most fun I've had on a series, even though the deadlines have been crazy. And it's an interesting book because they can't really do anything to the characters because it's Spider-Man and Deadpool. You can't really break them yeah. uh, outside of their own series. So it's been interesting to see the story that Robbie's been trying to weave throughout these issues to make readers still come back, but, you know, not really changing the characters at all. I mean, even the Um, tone of the story at at times acknowledges that fact too, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, but the, the stuff that we've been able to throw into each issue, uh, and like, especially with Matt Horak, um, he's penciling like half the issues and then Jim Toe, uh, inks or pencils the other half. Matt is one of those people that knows a lot of obscure characters so a lot of time when you see like Pip the troll show up, that's not Robbie. That's Matt throwing it in there <laughs> because Robbie said draw whoever. So then I have to either email Matt and say who is this, or I have to you know Google reference like what what troll character is this? Like I've never even heard of this guy. <laughs> uh, and Matt really likes the the '90s like really extreme horrible designed characters. Was <laughs> like pouches and baseball caps and mullets. He really digs those. So he'll throw those in there. I'm like, which which Thor guy is this? I don't know who this is. <laughs> I feel like I'd love to see your Google search history because it sounds bizarre. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's always Marvel and then the name of a character. Uh, and then I usually have to narrow it down by comic because a lot of times you'll get uh, toys or movies, mm. especially Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange references almost impossible to find. That's true. So Everything is... In a dick. <laughs> when the when the book ends, so as you said, you're working on the last issue now. What, what, I mean, maybe you're maybe you already know what you're working on next, and you can't share because it hasn't been announced yet. But what 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 type of book do you want to work on next, or what what is the um, what's the thing that you haven't had a chance to do yet that you would really love to color that you just haven't hasn't come up yet? Um, I mean, my my dream book that I want to work on would be Daredevil or a Daredevil type title. Okay, preferably. If I could get a book that had Daredevil, Moon Knight, uh, Iron Fist, Power Man, that would be like my dream book. <laughs> <laughs> like just, I, I like the I like the street level characters. It's just the um, reality of it, or yeah, well, they're grounded. I like the grounded. I like the city. I like I like noir type stuff. Mm-hmm. So like Daredevil, uh, like Batman, anything that's grounded in a city that's gritty. That's that's kind of like in my wheelhouse. Uh, that's the stuff I would, I would just you know, would love to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I'm 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 pretty easy. I don't say no to much. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, it, it, obviously, uh, early on, it kind of established your personal brand of being able to kind of be the firefighter colorist, right? At the, I mean, at the beginning, you want to be needed. You want to have, you know, opportunities. Yeah. And the way to do that is I'll come in, I'll emulate you, I'll, I'll figure out how to make this work. And that's how, you know, you start proving who you are in the industry and how you get more work. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it when I was like, you know, I was putting in my due at the very beginning. This, I was like, I was just starting out. I was like, do what I can, show that I'm reliable, show that I'm on time, show that I can give them a quality book. And uh, I, that's still what I try to do. I try mm-hmm. to do the best. I don't, I don't think I'm the greatest colorist, but I am probably one of the more reliable ones. <laughs> if anything, I, I've never had a book bounce in like the... 18 or so years I've been doing this. That's good. So that's something that I try to hang my hat on. <laughs> uh, and a lot of the editors that work with me, they know that if I tell them that I'm going to get this done, I'm going to get it done. My last question for you is, what? which book that you've worked on do you think was pulled you the most out of your comfort zone? The most out of my comfort zone? You've worked on a lot of stuff, so it's it's. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you yeah. only have a few projects to choose from, and it's easy. Like you have worked on a lot. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, Doctor Strange is testing me, just because <laughs> uh, the the magic stuff is not there. Um, actually, Exo Men of War uh, at Valiant was pretty rough for me because, uh, as much as I love drawing or coloring Nova when it came to space stuff and doing aliens and different planets and stuff like that, that's just not, that's not something that I can visualize. Mm. Um, like the grass is green, sky is blue. I could see that going to different planets, unless it's on star Wars. Like I, I'd end up having to look at concept artists, uh, that were doing sci-fi stuff to try and just see how they would visualize things to try and even figure things out. Mm. So when, Whenever I'm having to do different planets and stuff like that, yeah, Exo Man of War, that, that was rough because Rob Venditti decided he wanted to make an Exo Core at one point, so there's like 20 different aliens wearing Exo suits, <laughs> all metallic, all in space, and I was like, this is my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Well, Brian, again, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show and talking about your career in comics, and we look forward to seeing uh, a lot more work from you in the future. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.